You are listening to DNA Discoveries, Stories of Finding Family. I'm Edward Looney, and each time an episode is released, I have the pleasure of speaking with an individual who shares their story of how an autosomal DNA test kit changed their life and helped them discover family. If you have a story that you would like to share, I would encourage you to reach out to me to send me an email at DNA Discoveries Podcast at gmail.com or to head over to the DNA Discoveries page, DNA Discoveries.fireside.fm, that is the host site, and to use the contact feature and to send an email, maybe share a little snippet of your story to whet my appetite, and I will reach out to you to schedule a time to have that interview so that you can share your story. Also, I encourage you to follow DNA Discoveries on Facebook. I haven't done a lot of Facebook promotion for the show in the past, but I really want to start doing that and making it a place where individuals can connect in the comments and so forth. So you can find the podcast at facebook.com slash DNA Discoveries pod. Today on DNA Discoveries, I'm very excited to be speaking with Carmen Rita Wong the author of Why Didn't You Tell Me, a memoir that she wrote really about her life, but also that dynamic of finding out who her biological father is. You might recognize Carmen Rita Wong's voice from radio or television. She's also an online journalist and has been a personal finance expert at CNBC, where she was the former host of the 2005 version of On the Money, a personal finance program. Carmen Rita Wong joins me now. Thank you so much, Carmen, for being with me today to share your story of finding family. Thank you so much for having me. And I think, you know, the book uh, that you wrote, Why Didn't You Tell Me? It's a memoir. It's you basically telling your life story. We trace it from the very beginning to present day, I guess you could say. So uh, I guess maybe the first thing would be, could you just paint a picture for people who you are, because obviously here we are, we're saying your last name is Wong. And so obviously Chinese comes to mind and, uh, you know, they might see a picture of you and might say, well, what's this all about? Who Who is she? So tell us a little bit about your own family of origin from the very beginning, I guess, of who uh, of who you are. Yes. And thank you for phrasing it that way. Instead of saying what, what am I? Because that is such you know, when I get that question, I shut down immediately. Um, I'm a who, not a what. Um, so I appreciate that. But yeah, I mean, look, I what am what am I or who am I? I am a 1970s New York City. I am just a product of um, the the wild melting pot of immigration that uh, was of that time, especially and even more so now. I would say. Um, so I'm the daughter of immigrants, a Dominican mother and Chinese father, uh, uptown Manhattan. And it was a very dynamic childhood to be raised between, um, you know, Dominican family, uptown and Chinatown, New York. Uh, I can tell you that. But my mother divorced and remarried an Anglo-American gentleman who's my stepfather. And we moved out to New Hampshire, which was a completely different world in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, I mean, it's still a little bit the same. But when I say like we were it, we were it. We were the only ones there, the brown specks in the snow, I call it. and then, you know, my life has been uh, a, quite an adventure of many careers and in media, but my family history, you know, 
I would say this, that living here, it's confronted me every day because we were in a place where we stood out, where we didn't have the same people. And I'll say this about my family. My cousins are Lees. So they're also Dominican Chinese. And it's very common in Caribbean, Caribbean culture, especially, um, and in many countries in South America, that the Chinese immigration was everywhere. So it wasn't considered odd or strange to be a mixed person. My cousins looked much so Asian that no one believed they were Dominican. And my side, we looked so Dominican, people didn't believe we were Asian. So it wasn't ever a question. We just are who we are or were. Yeah. And so part of your story then is kind of this change, right? So so you believe for the long time that of who your father is, uh, the Chinese father. Mm -hmm. and then, but then there's this moment, your mother is dying. And so uh, another person enters and says, do you actually know I'm really your father? Mm -hmm. At that moment, then what happens for you is you begin to lose that identity. And so then maybe you even question, like, do I really consider myself Chinese anymore? Is this really who I am? So tell us a little bit about kind of that transition uh, when that happened and how that story came about and everything like that, because that's really the main part of the story until we get kind of the psychological twist at the end. And like, a <laughs> but uh, what about the, the DNA discovery, Edward? Yeah, right? <laughs> so so tell us a little bit about that discovery, then finding out that the guy, yeah. the man you thought was your father really wasn't your father. And now you have a new father figure. Well, you know, Edward, it's really a story about how race and culture and ethnicity are different things. Um, race in this country is very much uh, what people see you as, your phenotype, as we call it in the mixed race community, the expression of your genes. So for example, you and a fraternal twin can have the exact, pretty much the exact same genes and they can look completely different than you. Um, that's happens and it's normal, but people will look at you and decide what race you are, right? And then there's ethnicity and culture. What were you raised, raised around? Who were your parents that you were raised around? So it's funny when I was 31 and my mother was sick with cancer and she decided to uh, confess her sins as to speak, um, you know, she decided to tell me another story about who my father was. And that's the thing is that the thing about DNA discovery, right? It's like science clashing with the storytelling. It's science really coming up against the stories our families and our parents and generations have handed down to cope, to manage, to deal with the lives that they've created. Um, and so she spun another story that my stepfather was my father. And that didn't feel right at the time. And I definitely, at the time, mourned my connection to my Chinese father, who was still in my life, and my brother, who is uh, genetically, uh, Dominican Chinese and being a Wong was a very big part of my identity. Um, so I was struggling at the time of like, well, what does that mean? Now I know in retrospect, because, you know, Poppy Wong, as I called him, Poppy was always in my life. And in the end I had to take care of him and, um, he passed away in June. I took care of him till his last days. I, you know, interned him. I did all of that. Like I was his daughter and he was the father who wanted me. Mm. And that's really important because though my stepfather was there from the time I was four, 
Poppy was the one, he was the one who claimed me. He was the one who insisted I was his and he never left my life. And he was always a big pain in the butt. He was always, you know, calling me and wanting to see me. But those sort of things can, you know, really make a parent and really influence you. So I say to people now, you know, do I claim racial Asianness? Am I racially trying? No. But am I a Wong? Always. Am I culturally Chinese? Absolutely. Um, and I'm also Latina. And I'm Afro-Latina. So there's all these identities in there. But when people look at me, they, you know, they can say what they want. But you get older and you realize you really have to understand who you are, who's important to you and such. Now, then the funny thing is that then when the science comes, I was 31 when my mother passed. So then I spent another 10 years with this other story that my stepfather was actually my real father. And he was a, of Italian-American descent. And my sister's father, my younger sister's father. And it, it, it just, it, it still didn't make sense. I mean, it was there and I thought I believed, I, you know, well, you know, that makes sense. And as time went on and I had my daughter and my brother had his daughters and then DNA testing became more of a, uh, a thing. Um, then we find out <laughs> that it's actually daddy number three. <laughs> which is a whole nother thing. Um, and, and not, uh, you know, not necessarily close to who I thought it was. And of course, I'm always like, I want people to read the book too. Um, but the funny thing is about that DNA discovery is I had handed in the draft, the first draft of this book to my publisher. And I didn't know who my biological father was mm -hmm. because the book wasn't so much about that, like I need, like that was, it was, of course it was very important. I spend chapters like looking for him and hiring genealogists and, and doing all the work and the family stories and all the different, I call them ghost fathers who I thought might be the one. And then I projected all of this, you know, on stories onto them as who they could be and all of that, that, um, I hit that button refresh as I'm sure a lot of, you know, your listeners know that refresh button, uh, and there pops my niece, my paternal niece. And there he was. And within 24 hours, I'm messaging with my biological sister and then finding out, you know, a whole nother legacy and a whole nother family, um, which is incredible. Yeah, most definitely. And we'll get to that here in a few minutes. And I want to talk more about ghost fathers too. So yes. lots of things to talk about, but as you find out then, you know, your mother's dying. This other man tells you, I'm really your father. Like, what was your emotional response to your mother? You you do tell, and you in the book, uh, in your book, why didn't you tell me, you know, kind of your own reactions. So you go there, you confront her. So what's going through your head and your mind, your heart uh, at all of those junctures uh, as you go and confront her with this information? And you know, did that change your relationship then from that moment? And she had cancer and she ended up uh, living for a few more years uh, mm -hmm. after that diagnosis because of a, a, a treatment that you were able to get her into. So how did that change your relationship to her in those final years of her life? Well, Lupe and I, Guadalupe and I had never had a really good relationship. Um, and it's funny because of course, all of this explains a lot of how she treated me uh, differently uh, than the other, than my other siblings. Um, 
what really went through my mind was just trust, like just our parents are the first people that we should be able to trust. We learn basic human things like love and trust through our relationships with our parents. I mean, at least that's the first time. Right. And so what I really was feeling was, of course, my, my, my heart broke for her in some ways because there she was dying and she was crying to me and all these things about when she was young were coming out and she, you know, she was married off by her father, um, forced into this marriage when she was really young. I mean, she's only 19, um, to Poppy Wong. And so all of this came up and, and then this, my stepfather courting her and this, it was just very dramatic and full of all this drama. And what I felt was just you betrayed, like how, like how much of it, this betrayal was so big. And I'm sure this is very different for, for many people. Cause it depends on your relationship. Right. But for me, it was a betrayal so big and seismic. I mean, it was like a crack in the earth to me. Mm. Um, absolute crack in the earth, especially because if you're telling me that the man I lived with from the time I was four and I wanted desperately to be his daughter, like desperately, because then once they got married, she started getting pregnant and having his children. So there were four more little sisters that I was like second mommy to and taking care of. And I was the outlier. My brother was out of the house because he was much older and grew up. And here I was this Wong in New Hampshire. Nobody knew what to do with me. But if I was part of this family, this new family, I'd feel like I belonged. And I didn't get that. She didn't give me that. And so you're telling me this whole time my father was right there. The man who I had wanted to, you know, be my father. It was absolutely devastating. It was a, the biggest betrayal of, of trust. And I understand now, and that's part of the reason why, you know, I did the book and you know, why didn't you tell me was so why, how could you possibly tell such things to, you know, a human being who is a, your child. And I needed to figure that out. So I understand, you know, why she did it, but it doesn't mean I, think it's a good thing not in the slightest no so you do the autosomal dna test kit and then you realize that the the family that should be your biological siblings now both sides because of the because of who your father is and such you find out no no they're not the yep. story that she told me isn't true so then that obviously looking back now she's deceased so in that moment, like what was going through your mind uh, in terms of thinking about your mother? And again, maybe that same question, why didn't you tell me? Like, how, how could you tell me so many different stories and they're not true? So uh, how did you process uh, that news? <laughs> Still processing, always processing, Edward. Um, that was only, that test I took. So the book was in production. So that was about two years ago. Um, so it's only been that long that I've known and I've do a lot of that. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners, you know, therapy helps for sure. Um, which I've been doing for 15 years every week. I think what it, I, I was crushed again, I was crushed again. Uh, I thought I had been crushed before. Nope. This was even, this was even deeper and harder. Um, again, it was. I wasn't related to any of my siblings who I loved so much. And it was that whole feeling of just being this kind of floating moon around everyone who had a real father. So I was the one who didn't have a real father. I was the one who didn't belong. I was the one who, you know, mm -hmm. and that 
is an incredibly isolating experience. It's like, you know, uh, having your, you're out in space and then someone cuts your little air tube, you know, and you go floating away, you know, that's what it felt like, uh, very much. So, um, you know, I know what's true, what's not, I know what more so about like what makes up family now, you know, families who shows up for you. I have more chosen family now than I did before. And I think in terms of my mother, you know, that idea of like, holy cow, like why come up with all these stories? Well, once I found out the truth of who he was, you know, it kind of made sense. My mother was protecting her reputation. She was protecting her identity. She wanted to be seen a certain way. And our stories, especially the generations before us that we tell ourselves and we tell other people, a lot of it is like our own little PR management. (laughs) It's like, presenting what we want the world to see of us, not necessarily who we really are. And one of the things you mentioned earlier, you talk about in in the book, uh, why didn't you tell me the memoir that you've written about this is the ghost father. So in the search, you, you would maybe cling to, well, okay, maybe it's this person. So you go to one family member and they're like, oh, you know, maybe your father could be this person. Your mother was close to them. And so you reach out and then, you know, one of the people actually said, well, I did a test kit. And, and so then you're like, oh, well, you're not a match. So obviously that's not true. So, but tell us a little bit about ghost fathers, I guess, and, and what you mean by that and the significance that they might have today in your life. So was there a ghost father that you connected with that then wasn't really your father, but maybe you still have some sort of ongoing connection to? Oh, I wish uh, I had a connection with him. There was one who, you know, was down because, you know, the thing with DNA is, as you know, is a lot of it is who's taking the tests. Sometimes you can't find, no, even hiring genealogists, you cannot find this person if the right people don't take the tests, right? Because that's the only thing connecting you. So there was a lot of me doing detective work on my own. And a lot of it was, through the family networks, the old school, like cousins I used to play with when I was a kid up in Harlem that I hadn't talked to in decades, but I remember their names and I remember them and tracking them down through social media was helpful with that for sure. Um, And talking to them. And one of them was my Nate was when I was little in the apartment in Harlem down the hall. Um, My godmother lived there. And one of the theories was it was one of her brothers was my father. And I remember this young man at the time, who of course is now like, I mean, I think he's in his seventies and somebody told me, I think it was him. This was the gossip. This was the family gossip that maybe it was him. And we did. So then of course I have to Google his name. I had to find him on LinkedIn. I do all this stuff. And then dun, 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 we actually look similar. And he was, he's an, he, he is an engineer. He is, um, you know, accolades, like he's he's a smart person. And, and I come up through academia. I was a professor and I was like, you know, this is nerdy, all that stuff matched up. And I was like, wait a second. I remember him. Maybe this is him. I reached out to him. He, he called me right away and it was heartbreaking because one of the first things he said was, I took, you know, I don't think I'm your father. He says, but I wish I was. Mm. 
And oh Lord, when I tell you that just broke my heart because I was like, I wished in that small amount of time that I thought it was him. I put so much hope into it being true because he was alive. He was professional. He was accomplished. He was well off. He lived in Florida. You know, he was a success story in our community. And I just put all these hopes and dreams into him in a matter of, you know, days, weeks, and it was not to be. But when he said that he, he looked me up and he saw the things that I've done and he was like, I wish I was your father. When, when you come up and you have people denying their father or they're not your father or their absentee father, whatever, when somebody is like, I wish I was your parent, you did great. Woo. I tell you, that was, it was wonderful to hear. And if he ever comes, if he comes to New York, we have, we have plans to get together. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. So you identified then you mentioned that there was this niece that popped up, then you're quickly in conversation with the biological sister. She tells you, we won't tell the whole story because uh, as a guy that writes books, I know we want people to buy the book. So go buy the book, <laughs> yeah. read the whole story, and you're going to get everything else uh, as well. But uh, I'm just curious about the connection then. So w- are you connected with the biological sister? Do you talk to her often? Like this newfound family that's in addition to the family that you grew up with, Poppy. Yeah. Uh, is there anything ongoing with them now since you finally discovered who your father was and who his children were and such? Yes. And, you know, I am so grateful and I know that I am so lucky to you know, in this DNA discovery culture and world to have a family that was happy to find me. Um, I know that's not the norm always. And I, and I set myself up psychologically for the possibility that that might be the case, but thankfully that's not the case. Um, my big sister, um, we just had dinner this summer. So yeah, we're in touch. (laughs) We're in touch and we text on birthdays and such. And she has two young daughters and I have a daughter and we all follow each other on social media and, and all of that. So it's wonderful. The sad part on her side, well, first of all, is that, um, my father's not around. So he also had passed away, which, um, I'll tell you, I, I cried for 24 hours when she told me that 24 hours straight, because, I had really hoped that I had been able to talk to him and get to know him and see like who I was the product of, but also selfishly to, you know, ask about my mom who had been gone and what their relationship was like and what they saw in each other and all of that. But he's gone, but she told me she's nine years older. And she told me I had a tia, which is aunt in Spanish because she also speaks Spanish. She said, I had a tia who told me when I was 21 years old, that I had a sister Mm. and they wouldn't tell me anything else. They, she just said that you have a little sister. So she said from the time she was 21 years old and she's older than me and I'm in my fifties. She had always had carried an idea with her. I'm a big sister to somebody. And she just carried that with her and had hoped. Um, And then here pops me. Um, And I hope to visit, my, I found out my father, I'll, I'll share this. He was one of 11 and, um, another immigrant family, but you'll never guess from where. So you're going to have to get the book for that. <laughs> um, but he, we only have one sibling left and here's the 
goosebump part. Her name is Carmen. Mm. The sibling left is the youngest sister and her name is Carmen. And so my sister believes that I was named after her. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible to think about. So this is your story of discovering family and kind of the twists and the turns and the disappointments and everything like that. Um, in this search, uh, in the book, you mentioned a few of the different resources you made use of. So I think that there are people out there who might listen to these uh, podcasts and they're like, I'm going to do one of those autosomal DNA test kits. I'm going to try to find my family. But then it comes in and you're like, I can't make head or tail of this. And so maybe they need help. And so uh, I think you utilized other people. So what were some of those resources? Who did you turn to in this uh, discovery search phase? Yes. So I, uh, and of course, none of this is an endorsement, but uh, I'll let you know. So I used, of course, the all the typical uh, DNA sites and and that we have. Um, and then I, I hired genealogists through Ancestry, um, and they have a service that does that. It's it's definitely not cheap, um, but it can be a worthwhile thing. Um, I also, of course, used uh, the main site, which consolidates all the DNA sites together to try to cross-reference. But I'll tell you this, between that and then good old gumshoe detective work, which was calling up family members, finding out stories, following leads. So for example, my godmother said, well, I think, you know, she worked in an optician and, and then my stepfather, if you can imagine, I had to make the very uncomfortable call to him to tell him the news because he didn't even think that I was someone else's. He came like lived next to me and assumed that I was his and, you know, knew that I was his, put that in quotes. And I had to tell him that I wasn't his and ask that very awkward question of like, well, who do you think it is? <laughs> Cause, um, which is, as you can imagine, puts him in a rough spot. So who else do you think she was with at the same time she was with you? Um, and he gave me a lead. Um, she had worked at a hospital in the Bronx. So I had to go back into records. And of course, and this was during the, the, the beginning of the pandemic where everything was shut down. The libraries were shut down. That put about a six month wait on doing research through the library because the, the oh, maybe he was Cuban. And then Cuba only let in so many doctors. And when I tell you, like, that's how much research I did. Also, Facebook, of course, has a lot of groups that can help you. So, for example, when I when I thought he could have been the Cuban doctor, there was a, a Cuban immigration group that a history Cuban history in New York. Then there was, you know, of course, all the DNA. I put shout outs for help with genealogists. And I, rec you know, I recommend to people to kind of use as many of those as possible. And then at the end of the day, sometimes like with me it's just time. And it was one of those where I went for months, several times a day, like, you know, whammy hitting that refresh to see who else I've matched up with. 
And then I decided after we were just coming up cold um, and I was like, you know what? The book is done. It's sold. It's in production. Let me just leave this alone. And I didn't touch it, the sites for about, I want to say four months. And once the book was handed in, I said, you know what? Let me just, just being curious. Let me just be thorough and hit it again. And there she was. So it was just a matter of time. And then, of course, I had to call my editor and say, um, excuse me, I'm going to need to write an epilogue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I had to write the epilogue because then I, I met my sister in person and, and got the whole background. But I think my best advice for people is kind of utilize what's out there, especially for fairly for free. Once you use the genetic sites, do things for free. Talk to family members. Even if they're unfortunately, like with my mother, they were all locked down. She made sure she took this to her grave. And if it wasn't for genealogy sites, I don't think I would have found him at all, mm. ever, ever. Seriously, um, that's how locked down it was, which would, would have been, I think, a tragedy because I really, really love having a big sister and her family and this extended family, which I hope that we're going to all travel to see next year. Yeah, wow, what a blessing to find the family, to be welcomed in. And, you know, in that little sharing that you just did, you talked about your stepfather and that you had to go to him. And I guess that's a a forgotten piece. Like, I didn't think about that. And so you go to him and you say, hey, I'm not your daughter like you thought you were. Uh, How does he receive that? Is he upset? Like, did that did that hamper or affect any of your relationship with him? Um, Yeah. What's that like now uh, for him and for you? Yeah, well, that's it's tough to talk about. Um, as as anyone who <laughs> publishes a memoir can tell you, you know, not all family is happy about it. Um, well, with him, that phone call, I thought he was going to be the one that was going to be very upset by it, and in and I ended up being the one that burst into tears and was crying hysterically. And I realized it was because with that phone call, I was orphaning myself. Mm-hmm. I was orphaning like it was I was committing the act of basically now becoming an orphan because by telling him he wasn't my father I had nobody my mother had passed my biological father had passed um Poppy Wong was still around but supposedly he wasn't really my father you know um it was really really hard he took it I don't know. He's not, he was not an effusive man or an expressive man. So, um, but he did say, you know, Oh, wow. Well, that makes me kind of rethink things quite a bit. And I was like, yeah, you think, you know, and me to him was, you think you're rethinking things. How do you think I feel Mm. being fooled twice over 20 years, like my whole life, you know? Um, so I would say that there were limits to my empathy to his situation <laughs> because it was, nobody was saying to me like, holy cow, this must've been painful. I'm so sorry. And that's the one thing that unfortunately, and I feel like with all of these stories about finding your parents and, and, and confronting them about the lies is having them recognize the pain they've caused and to say, I'm sorry. Um, and that didn't come. And that's the sad part. So I'm still dealing with my feelings about that. So um, yes, 
it's caused a, a tremendous rift mm. because um, that's important to me. Uh, and it should be important to anybody, frankly, um, to, to have someone who loves you really recognize the, the pain they've caused. Yeah. You mentioned Poppy Wong there, and earlier you mentioned too that that you were with him to his dying breath, and I just commend you for that because you know it really speaks volumes that he was your father, and and you accepted him as such, even if you know DNA says he wasn't, he still was, and so uh, that's that's probably one of the favorite parts of of your story that you've just shared that really sticks with me. Your dedication to him even to the end. I'm so glad. No, I'm so glad. And I, and, and it was a real, I don't want to say a revelation to me, but it really healed my heart a bit and made me feel a little better in the sense that, um, look, Poppy wasn't a good person. <laughs> Let's be clear. You read the book, you see, he was not a good person. Um, but that when it comes to parenting, of course, DNA is important. Of course it is. Of course it is. But wow. Having somebody say, no, I'm your father. I'm your father. I'm going to show up. I'm going to continue to be there. I'm going to continue to call you. Even when you don't pick up, I'm going to continue to, you know, harangue you to see me. I'm going to continue to complain to you. I'm going to continue, you know, it's it, but also too, it's, you know, what do you need, Carmen? What do you need? You know, how's your daughter? What can I, you know, what can I do? Let's go here. Let's do that. You know, that involvement in someone's life in choosing to show up as a parent means the world. And you know what? He was my father's, my brother's father. And my brother and I were absolutely incredibly close. And my brother's wife is like my big sister and his daughters are are the dearest things to me. So it was also showing up for the Wong side of my family for that family who I was very close to, who loved and accepted me, no matter who the heck my father was biologically. And it was, it was incredible to be able to take care of him in the end, even though it was incredibly difficult and he made it difficult, but I did it. Uh, Your book is Why Didn't You Tell Me? It's now out. You can get it. You can buy it wherever books are sold, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, wherever. Uh, who publishes it? Uh, uh, it's Crown Penguin. Okay. And then uh, what are you hoping that the reader who picks it up, what's the takeaway you want them to have as they read your life story? Oh, I hope that they, you know, can come away with it with some understanding about and, and hope, and what I've heard from a lot of people, and I just love, is forgiving themselves for the feelings they have about their parents and their parents' bad decisions, because we are taught, you know, respect your parents and love your parents. And, and if you have these bad, you know, feelings of like, you know, why did you do this to me? And why did you, you know, and, and being okay with the decisions that you make about that, whether it's going on a search, even though they don't want you to, or questioning them or sometimes cutting off communication because you have to for a while. I hope people can see that you can manage it. You can deal with it. You can come beyond it and grow from it uh, very much. And the response I've been getting has just been great, especially from people who have discovered that they have a different family 
than they thought they had. I think it's very isolating. I'm sure you hear this a lot, Edward. It can feel incredibly isolating. And a big part of the reason why I wrote the book is to help people feel less alone. There's a lot of us out there. There's a lot of us in all different shapes and sizes and kinds. And you're definitely, definitely not alone. Yeah. You know, I liked your book uh, partly because uh, one of the, one of the popular kind of talking points around this whole subject is usually, you know, the sperm donor father and I have 36 siblings. And, you know, I had an author on who wrote that book and uh, it was a great interview. It was a great book, but, uh, and then, you know, just uh, last month I had this uh, documentary host, John Bame, who came out with a documentary about the same thing, like found out that my father was a sperm donor and you know, yada, yada, yada. So I like the fact that your story is kind of, you know, not everybody is a sperm donor baby or donor conceived in that regard. So uh, your book, your story is, is about just finding family and kind of what happens in those dynamics of family and kind of, you know, how one person can mislead and deceive or whatever. But I think it's probably more relatable than a story of the, uh, of the other genre. So, so that's what I appreciate about uh, your book, Why Didn't You Tell Me? Oh, thank you, Edward. Well, I think this is, I, I think family secrets, you know, um, I think the donor space, of course, that's definitely, you know, secretive and can be and such, but this is, I think there's a lot more stories out there than we hear about that are like mine, where it's really about someone having a relationship outside the marriage or through someone else and passing a baby off as someone else. It's, you know, I, I know there's a whole TV afternoon TV industry about that, but I think that what's very heavy and serious about it is that it is a story of family dynamics and gender roles and all of these sort of things, but there's no shame in it. And I think that's why a lot of people don't tell these stories. You don't hear as much about it. Is that, is this a legacy of shame? And I said, no, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. My mother was my mother. This is what she did. And we don't have to see this as, as dirty laundry or airing dirty laundry. What it is, is let's be truthful in our families as much as we can. It is so liberating. It is incredibly liberating. And then you can have possibly a whole nother family. And if not, the truth really opens you up. I know I have been quite a bit and sharing with other people and not carrying the shame of our parents. They may have done what they've done because of shame. You do not have to, this is not a legacy that you have to take on for sure. Yeah, You're a person. <laughs> I hope people will pick up your book. Uh, Why didn't you tell me and read your story and that it might help them in their own situation. And I'm so grateful that you chose to join me today to share your story with the DNA Discoveries audience. Thank you so much, Edward. Thank you for having me on. Been a pleasure. You have been listening to DNA Discoveries, Stories of Finding Family. I'm Edward Looney. And it is such an honor for you to have listened to today's episode and to hear Carmen's story of finding family. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do me a favor and go over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review it. That helps other people to find it in the algorithm of Apple. It becomes a suggested podcast and so forth. If you don't mind, share this episode with someone who you think might benefit 
or who would enjoy it. You can also send an email to DNA Discoveries Podcast at gmail.com or head over to DNA Discoveries.fireside.fm and you can use the contact page there to reach me and to share your story so that we can schedule an interview for your episode of DNA Discoveries. Please again follow us on social media at facebook.com slash DNA Discoveries Pod. And I look forward to being with you again real soon. Thanks so much for being a listener and supporter of DNA Discoveries. I hope to be with you again real soon so that we can share another story of finding family.